Welcome to Celebration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us. We want you to share this broadcast with as many people as you can. We believe that it will bless and encourage us all in this season. Remember to continue reaching out to your loved ones. Stay connected with each other, especially with your cell family. The Bible gives us a pattern to look out for one another. Let's speak His Word and His strength will carry us through. Good morning. I am so looking forward to this next series. I'll be doing uh, the next four weeks. We're going to be talking about uh, something I believe that is very, very, very important. The fact of the matter is that we are facing a crisis in the nation of Zimbabwe. Uh, in fact, around the world. The whole world is suffering under a delusion. The delusion is that you can live however you want to live and call yourself a Christian. That your Christianity doesn't have to be played out in practicality. It's just a title that we carry. And many Christians uh, speak and live entirely different than what the Bible teaches. Uh, this has crept into the church through uh, a series of doctrines. Doctrines that have been perpetrated upon the church and have really blinded us to the kind of lifestyle that God wants us to live. So with the COVID crisis in mind, uh, a lot is being revealed. We've just gone through uh, a few weeks of dealing with our characters, and it's brought such clarity for so many in the body of Christ. But with it came questions about how should we live. And so the title of this series is How Therefore Should We Then Live? Or therefore, how should we live? And I, I want to make sure that we figure out how we should be living our lives in the face of the ever-changing situations we find ourselves in, in the face of COVID, in the face of political unrest, in the face of economic meltdown, in the face of tearing in our own families. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, the second chapter. And we're going to read quite a long passage of Scripture, but I want you to think about this. Verses 1 through 18 says, Therefore we ought to give the much more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto, unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, wherever you and I speak, but one in a certain place testifies, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou made him a little bit lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and you did set him over the works of your hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see, not yet, all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, 
for whom all things and by whom all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again he said, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, that's us, through, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. You know, this passage of scripture is long. I understand that. But there's a couple of things I want you to see. First of all, that, that Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death, where we've been held by fear. That he himself was suffering and had been tempted and is able to secure us that are tempted. Titus says that another way. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How should we then live? We should be looking for that glorious hope. We should live godly lives in this present world. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says that you would walk worthy of God, who has called you unto the kingdom, his kingdom and glory. First Thessalonians 4, 15 and 17 says, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then you and I, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort each other with these words. See, those of us who are alive in Christ have a certain and joyful hope. And we should be comforted to know that we're going to get caught up and meet our Lord and our Savior in the air. We're going to be with Him. People call it the rapture. I believe in the rapture. I don't know exactly when it's going to be, but I believe that He's going to take us. But we need to comfort each other with these words. But we also have to consider the meaning of what it means to be alive in Christ. He says those who are alive in Christ. If there's people that could be alive, that means there are people that may be not alive. So I have to believe that we should take a very careful look at the scriptures. And we allow them to speak to our manner of life, the way that we live, the way in which we carry out our lives in Jesus Christ. You see, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of God. 
in a manner worthy of his kingdom. Jesus, he's begun a work of sanctification in our lives. And that's ongoing. And he's going to accomplish his work in us if we allow him to do so. And so I'm grateful to his Holy Spirit who teaches us all things and who guides us and convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That Holy Spirit that comforts us and leads us. But you see, the devil, the Bible teaches us, uses fear to hold God's people in bondage. The devil's tactics are negative. Fear of death. Fear of death is his primary weapon. We who are alive in Christ have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, of strength, and of a sound mind. So the question that I'm often asked is one that concerns me as a person, but is especially as a pastor. It centers around the idea of sin. Here's the question. Can I go to heaven while I'm still willfully living in sin? Now, many people believe enthusiastically that because they accepted Jesus sometime in their past, and because of that, they think, well, they know that they're going to go to heaven. But some of these people are still fornicating, getting drunk, cursing, hating, lusting, committing adultery, killing babies through abortion, selling and using drugs. Some are calling themselves Christian or Christians and are involved in idolatry, human trafficking, corruption in business and politics. You see, what has happened is they have believed a lie of the devil. And this lie is insulating them from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the true message of repentance. Now, I'm not talking about a baby Christian. I'm not talking about uh, somebody who's trying to do the best they can to follow God. We all know that we are first saved and that when we're first saved, nobody lives a perfect life. And I'm not even saying that a mature Christian will do everything perfectly. But there will not be a careless and stubborn pursuit of sin in our lives. That's what the Bible calls walking after the flesh. In fact, on the contrary, there should be a persistent pursuit of Jesus in the lives of every believer especially after a person has been a Christian for a number of years. The doctrine of unconditional security, or sometimes it's called once saved, always saved, has destroyed millions of souls because it subtly subverts a person's heart away from Jesus by giving them a sense that there is an unbreakable safety net underneath them. You see, the once saved, always saved teaching gives the believer a false sense of security by turning the grace of God into a license for sin. When this is done in a religious setting, it's very successful in searing the conscience of the believer who has fallen away. This is the primary reason why the once saved, always saved doctrine is one of the major roadblocks to a genuine revival. I know we've been asking for a revival in Zimbabwe almost for 40 years. Well, it is also the reason why the Holy Spirit moves so powerfully on Jude in the Bible. And he inspired Jude to write and to exhort you and I to earnestly contend for the faith. Jude 1, verses 3 through 4 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of our common need of salvation, 
it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to, to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Eee. Now that word lasciviousness is probably a big word for most of us. So I looked it up in the Greek. It comes from a word, aselgia, A-S-E-L-G-I-A. It means licentious or incontinent. The disregarding of sexual restraints. Its license, is the root license, is to give legal permission to engage in some activity or the irresponsible use of freedom. <laughs> what a definition. You see, God's commandments and common sense, for that matter, are perfect examples of sexual restraints. Therefore, to disregard sexual restraints is to disregard God's commands. And that's precisely, that's precisely what the doctrine of unconditional security does in the lives of many people. These people accept it as being the gospel. But to put it plainly, the once saved, always saved doctrine produces an attitude that will excuse sin and abuse the grace of God. It's in this context that Jude tells us that we must earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. You see, we're commanded to fight for the faith when we see the grace of God being turned into lasciviousness. Grace was never intended to be used as an excuse for you and I, for Christians, to sin. But rather, grace should be the means by which we overcome habitual sin. Grace, we all know the definition, is God's unmerited favor. But it's so much more. Hebrews 10, 29 says, Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall be thought worthy, who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. In this verse, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of grace. You see, it's by the Holy Spirit that God leads you and I into repentance. He leads us into all truth. Now, grace is not a passive mystical force that somehow God bestows upon us indiscriminately or he bestows it indiscriminately upon uh, an array or arbitrary wicked people. On the contrary, God's grace is a person. This person of the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us to accomplish the will of God in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our business, and in our nation. You see, without doubt, we all know that it's not God's will for his people to continue in sin. Therefore, when we see the spirit of God's grace being abused in this way, you and I as the saints are supposed to fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. James says that another way. He says in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, he says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
I want to take a little bit deeper dive into this passage of Scripture for the purpose of clarity, for the purpose of understanding. I don't want you to miss what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. First, James started out by saying, brethren. That's a powerful word, brethren. So this tells us without a shadow of a doubt that he was addressing born-again Christians. He's not addressing the world. He's not addressing the Jewish community. He's addressing born-again Christians. Secondly, he said, if any of you, born-again Christians, do err or stray from the truth, this reveals that a Christian can stray from the truth. Now, common sense tells us that a person cannot stray from the truth unless they had known understood and had already experienced the truth. In addition, this passage calls the backslidden brother a sinner who needs to be converted. Now this word, this, this, this is an amazing word, the word to convert or convert doesn't mean that the individual needs to be born again a second time. It rather means that he needs to be turned around or brought back The actual word convert is the word epistropho, epistropho, and it means to revert, literally, morally, or figuratively. It means to come again or go again, to convert, to return, or to turn about again. And that word again is important, to turn about again. You see, the most amazing revelation, in some ways devastating, from these verses is the fact that godly Christians can be brought back or they or, 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 or as godly Christians we can bring back or convert a soul from death you see this reference to death is not a reference to a physical death because the soul does not die when the body dies therefore the only death the soul can experience is the second death in the lake of fire. It's for this reason that you and I should fight the devil and any doctrine that causes brothers or sisters to err from the truth. You see, the word of God has commanded us to contend, to fight for this. If a Christian does not believe that another Christian can fall away and be lost, then they'll never enter into the fight for that person's soul. And, in fact, you're being disobedient to the clear command of the book of James. Listen again to the truths of these scriptures. Christians can and do turn the grace of God into a license for sin. And some of them will be lost forever if they never return to Jesus with all of their hearts. Jesus himself said, strive to enter into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in. You shall not be able to. Let's see what the Bible has to say about habitual drunkards, fornicators, and revelers. Galatians 5, 19-21. You all know this verse, but let me reiterate it. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. 
of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. Their latter end is worse with them than their beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, that a dog turned again to its own vomit, and that the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Hebrews chapter 10. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fire indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now, these are powerful verses, and in some ways they're frightening. Now, I'm going to begin to deal with these verses during this series. But if what you're hearing sounds different than some of the messages coming across the television and radio these days, it's because this is according to the Bible that I'm talking about, the Word of God. I am saying that if we just keep telling everyone that no matter how they live, if they have professed Jesus, that they're going to go to heaven, we're part of the problem. We have people dying, and everybody says, oh, we'll see you in heaven. We don't know that. We don't know that everybody's going to go to heaven. Just because you die doesn't mean you go to heaven. There's got to be a lifestyle that we live. This is why righteousness and truth have fallen in the streets in Zimbabwe. This is why we can call ourselves Christians as a nation, even quoting numbers as high as 85% Christian. But we have all this gross corruption in our so-called Christian businesses, and our so-called Christian government, and our so-called Christian institutions, even in our churches. We need to be the brethren that are willingly stepping up and putting ourselves out there to earnestly contend for the faith and call our fellow brothers and sisters to repentance and to be converted again. You see, repentance is the way back home. James 5, 19-20 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall have saved the soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. There's a warning in the book of Numbers. It's the Old Testament, but in Numbers 32, 23, it says, But if you will not do so. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and he will, and be sure that your sin will find you out. I can tell you something about sin. Sin always finds you. Sin always is exposed. That's why we need to repent. That's why we need to expose it. Because sin has a way of exposing itself. Genesis 6.3 says, My spirit will not always strive with man. God will not always strive against our sin or against our sinfulness. Many of us that are listening to this message, know that I'm describing your life right now in some way. Many of you have had the Lord tugging at your heart, 
for days, weeks, or even years. Ask yourself, where will you be on that final day? And what will you be doing between now and then? Will you be found snatching souls out of the fire? Or will you be playing with sin while you cling to a doctrine that excuses your behavior? Are you going to strive to keep your pet sins? Or will you be found striving against them using the power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus knows and he sees everything. You can fool yourself and you can fool others. But then God brings somebody along your path with the raw, cutting, and unadulterated truth. And for one moment, the blinders of your self-deception begin to fall off. Maybe your heart sinks and you even tremble. Then in desperation, you reach back somewhere in your memory to some familiar Bible verse to quell that awful sense of your real spiritual condition. Many fight this conviction from the truth. Well, I wasn't taught this. I was taught differently. The war is raging for your soul. Let me tell you something. The battle is real. And there's more than physical death that is at stake. In the weeks to come, I'm going to be tackling some of the scriptures that have been used to lull us into a sleep and a false sense of security. The truth be known. The Bible teaches that if a brother or a sister strays, then they must be brought back in order to save their soul from death. Do you need someone to bring you back? Or do you need to get busy giving your brethren the truth? I'm urging you to give your life to Jesus right now while he's dealing with your heart. If you want to get right with God, you must ask Jesus to forgive you for all the sins that you've committed. Ask him to cleanse you and to deliver you from the dominion of sin. And then turn away from your old lifestyle and start following him every day. Make the changes in your life which are necessary to put Jesus first. As you seek him in prayer, and as you seek him in the Bible, as you seek him in fellowship with other believers, the church, he'll reveal himself to you. He desires that for you. You'll move from a dead religion or a transaction with God into what he intended, an abiding relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Right now, if God's convicting you of sin. If he's convicting you of a, a lifestyle that has removed you from his presence, it's, you've chosen to live in a, in a manner that is not worthy of the calling of Jesus on your life. Now's the time to repent. Now's the time to turn back. Some of you say, I, I don't know if I can do this on my own. You may not be able to. That's why you need a brother. I'm here to speak the truth. I'm looking for my James 5 moment where somebody came in my life and helped me through my dark time. I want you to know there is somebody that can help you. Right now on the television screen, there are some phone numbers there. You may need to immediately respond and say, hey, listen, I need to repent. I, I want to pray with somebody. I want to just repent. You don't have to tell them your name. You just need to say, will you pray with me? 
Or maybe you need some help. Maybe you need to find some fellowship in the church. You need to find brothers and sisters that aren't tearing you down, that aren't causing you to walk in wayward paths, but are helping you to walk the righteous life. Maybe you need Christian fellowship. Or maybe you need resources or a pastor. I don't know what your need is, but pick up the phone. Use that number right now. Now let me pray for you. Father, I pray for all those under the sound of my voice. Today, as we've begun this series on how should we then live, I'm asking you, Lord, to convict us of our sins. Help me, Lord, even as the pastor, to not serve and to speak and to preach with enticing words of men's wisdom, but with a demonstration of your Holy Spirit and power. Convict me and convict us of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Lord, may we become that holy bride, that holy people. May we snatch people from the fires of hell. Father, so many have died. So many speak lightly of heaven. We've seen men that have done wicked things. And unless they've repented, Father, they're in hell. Father, we're praying today that you would keep us from an eternity separated from you. Bless all those under the sound of my voice. Cause us to look deeply into our hearts and to turn to you, to seek you. We pray in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp. As we go, stay safe, stay blessed, stay connected.